I think to really break the cycle of poverty, there's more that's needed. And I mean, for example, we've had young people, um, uh, one of our gap year interns, for example, told me that she often spent her time playing with her younger sister. And when I asked her why, she said, well, all of my peers dropped out of high school. They fell pregnant. They on drugs. And, and I don't, I don't want that for my life. I'm making different choices. And I, I don't want to fall pregnant. And the reason I don't want to is because through yoga, I learned to respect my body. And so I'm making different choices because I love and respect my body and I want a different future. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. We believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So we're all about community. We're about keeping each other on track. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Hi all, I just have to share my Friday win with you. Um, I'm sitting in my car, I'm still too overwhelmed to actually move and I thought I might just have to share this with you before I can do anything else. I am a key accounts manager um, for quite a large company and I've just been in a meeting with one of our agricultural customers and after the meeting I the CEO, call, the CEO called me aside and said, Marcel, I just have to tell you, you're back. And I said, what do you mean I'm back? He said, you've been gone. I don't know where you've gone to, and I can't remember for how long, but you're back. And we're so glad to have you back. Nothing makes me happier. So thank you. I've only been on this journey for two weeks now and already the differences are so tangible. So if you want to join our tribe and connect with others on this path, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let's get to my guest. If you've been following for a while, then you may well have participated in our annual Dry January Challenge. That's when we raise money for the Earth Child Project. So this week, I'm delighted to be chatting to the founder of the Earth Child Project, the inspirational Jana Kretzmar. I began our conversation by asking Janet to introduce herself. Firstly, hi, Janet, and thank you so much for having me on, on your podcast. And as you say, in this year of 2020, it's great to, to connect. 
Um, so to introduce myself, my name is Jana Kretzmar. I'm the, the founder and director of a nonprofit organization called the Earth Child Project. Started way back in 2007. I, I live in Cape Town with my husband and two young boys, aged one and three and a half. How on earth did you get this uh, amazing vision to uh, to create Earthchild? How did how did it come to you, and did you imagine it evolving as it has? Just take us right back to uh, when you had that light bulb moment. Yes, it's always it's an interesting one, knowing where to start because with something that's so much a passion and purpose project. Um, the locating the beginning, it, it goes way back, I suppose. But for, for uh, to keep it relatively short, um, when I when I finished high school and I started I started studying um, anthropology and psychology, and I think especially social anthropology at the University of Cape Town really really inspired me to want to be part of making a difference in the world. And when I, I left my, after completing my undergraduate, all that I knew was that I wanted to make a positive difference. And I had a feeling that my dream job didn't exist and I'd have to create it. And so I decided to first travel. So I worked for a year and saved up. And then I went traveling in South America and also to say during my during my studies on a personal level i had been introduced to practices like yoga and a more holistic approach to health and wellness and also um been learning more about what was happening to the environment and becoming more passionate about sustainability and during my travels in South America, I, I ended up living and volunteering on an eco-village. And it was really there that for the first time, I met other young, like-minded people who were practicing, um, I suppose, holistic um, lifestyle habits, like practicing yoga and meditation and um growing their own food and living in community. And I suppose during my time on that eco-village, it really gave me hope that us as a species have the capacity to live in a more balanced, peaceful and harmonious way with each other and with the natural world. And that really inspired me to want to try and create that back home in South Africa. And another part of that puzzle was that while I was at the eco-village, I read a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. And it's by Paramahamsa Yogananda, who was one of the first Indian yogis to bring yoga and meditation to the West. And in this book, I think it's just one page where he describes a school that he'd started in India. And 
He described how children did the regular academic subjects, but very often they would have lessons outside under the trees. And in addition to those subjects, they also learned about things like yoga and meditation and environmental sustainability and how to grow their own food. And it was really that one page in that book that planted the seed of the idea that grew into Earth Child Project. Because I, when I read this, I was like, that combines all of these things that I'm so passionate about. I, I had worked on summer camps and been a facilitator with children, and I was very passionate about working with children and also had really, really experienced the, the benefits of practices like yoga and meditation and um, the power of positive thinking. And just I remember as I experienced the benefits as a young adult thinking, I wish I'd learned this at school because it takes time to master those things. And it was so beneficial. And I was, um, it's such a wonderful practical tool for life. And so this page in Autobiography of a Yogi, together with wanting to make a difference, together with living on this eco-village and experiencing that we really can live in a different way, um, all those things combined um, led to the initial idea. And I was actually so excited to come back to South Africa and get started that I moved my ticket forward a month and came back and um, started volunteering at a school in Woodstock. And I think that's really where the influence of the social anthropology came in because it was very much about if you want to do community development or development work, it should never be imposed on a community. The, the models and the work needs to be in partnership with the community that you're working with. And so I, I volunteered at the school for a year, getting to know the children, the teachers, the, the context. And I would run some yoga classes and I'd get feedback and I'd set up a garden and I'd get feedback. And it was really through that year that a very important aspect of the Earth Child Project model um, was created through observing that there were many NGOs coming in and out of the school during that year. And because I was volunteering throughout the year, I would see they would come and they'd run a workshop and then they'd put up posters and give the teacher a manual and they would leave and nothing ever happened. Because the teacher's um, I mean, I think probably all over the world, but especially in South Africa, they, they're incredibly stressed and overworked, and this just added to their workload. And so that really inspired me to see if we really want to make meaningful, sustainable change, it needs to be a long-term intervention, and it needs to – we can't just hand things over to the teachers. We need to work together with the school. And so I had that initial idea of, okay, we could put a, a facilitator in the school and they work together with the teachers and they build relationships and they implement these elements of yoga and life skills and health and wellness and environmental education. And very soon after having this idea, um, a friend of mine who ran an NGO shared it with one of their donors who was Earth Child Clothing. 
And they loved the idea. They were a a local organic children's clothing brand. And they really felt that it, um, it, it resonated with what they did and their values. And they offered to pay the salary of that first facilitator. And so that was really where the inspiration for the name came. Literally in that first email I sent to them, I was like, oh, well, the Earth Child Project, that they, they called Earth Child. And Earth Child as a name just um, so beautifully summed up what our vision was and what we did. And yeah, and then and then very quickly we got... I met Knox, who you know well, who was a young um, community leader in Kailicha, and she was already working with a group of children, and she just fell in love with the idea, and then we found a school, and literally within three months of that first idea, we had three facilitators, three schools, and three donors, and the next year in January was when, when Earth Child Project began. That was back in 2007. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Wow, that's that's such a beautiful story, Jana. I love the way it, 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 it was as if it was meant to be, wasn't it? You've got your travels, you've got that one page in the book, and you've got finding a school and it was just meant to be, wasn't it? Just the way that it all fell into place so beautifully. I think it really was an experience of following following my gut and intuition and um, and seeing how when you want to do something that's in line with your passion and purpose, but also for a greater good, there was so much support from so many different people and organizations. And I mean, when I got back from South America, I never in a million years thought that I was going to be starting an NGO that would still be going 13 years later. I just knew I had this idea and I wanted to start a little project. And I think it was, yeah, just taking one step at a time and and learning as we went along. And I, I really, now when I look back and I, I see that we kind of fell into that approach of working together with local partners and letting the model grow very organically. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that has ended up being a, a great strength of the organization is that it was really done in partnership with many people. For example, Knox, who was the first facilitator, and it's, we, we still work together. Earth Tribe Project is um, it's like our little baby. And I think having those people who grew up in the communities that we work in and really understand the, the context, the language, the challenges that the children face, that the parents face, um, and using that knowledge to influence the program and the model has has been part of how we've managed to still be going and grow over all these years. Amazing. And how, how big is it these days? How, I think you've got 10 full-time staff. How many children are you helping yes. at the moment? Well, we our, our team, we've got 10 full-time staff members and we work with plus minus 3,500 children on a, a weekly basis. I, In thinking of the best way to, to answer that, also that 
that is in an if 2020 hadn't been the year that it was. So those exact numbers have varied because of the way that schools have been impacted this year. But um, that's what we started working with at the beginning of the year and what we'll start with at the beginning of next year. Okay. Uh, And just talk to us a bit about the different programs. So there's obviously the yoga and then there's the, uh, the gardening and the worm farm. Yes. Um, I know that very often I think that um, what we do seems like, can seem like a strange combination of things. So as you said, there's yoga, there's gardening, there's worm farming. But maybe um, how I often describe it is it's holistic education and practical experiential education. And we really, our, our, our vision is that if we can support children to really connect to themselves, each other, and the environment, then they will better care for and love and protect themselves, each other, and the environment. And so really wanting to give children practical tools and knowledge in those areas of self, health and wellness, community, and and the environment – The practical skills that we've looked at is so we have a yoga component of our programs, but it's much more than just yoga postures and meditation. There's also all sorts of life skills and um, emotional, like uh, we teach children about, I suppose, their physical and emotional well-being. And then there's the environmental component, again, wanting it to be practical. So we have worm farms in the classes. We teach them how to grow organic food in containers. We take them out of the township communities and onto the mountains to really give them an experience of the natural world. And all of those programs take place. We have a living classroom program, which is during school hours and linked to the national curriculum. And then we also have an after-school program where we have yoga and eco-clubs and leadership building clubs. And those are really an opportunity for us to work with smaller groups of children. And then we have the, the hiking clubs and camps. And then what's evolved over the years is a very strong leadership training component. And through that, we have a young leaders program, the alumni high school leadership training, as well as holiday programs. And and so, yeah, it's kind of during school, after school, weekends, holidays, we've got a variety of different of different programs. But what has evolved is that we actually work all the way from grade one to post grade 12 um, gap year interns. So. It's a it's really a long term intervention, and um, what's happened with the the leadership training and the the high school leadership training program is that was very much an organic extension that came when we responded to the interest and the ideas of the children that we worked with. Yeah, yeah, and I just love the stories about the the little children who then go on to become teachers. You know, like so, 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 and um, the fact that your your young leaders, some of them are involved in the Earth Child Project, aren't they? Yes. So you, you've known your your young leaders um, since they were <laughs> tiny. Since they were small. I mean, that has really been an incredibly inspiring 
addition to our team and our programs over the past few years. So I, I'll never actually forget it was it was many years ago now, sure, maybe about seven or eight years ago, that um, Knox came to me and she said a group of high school graduates, because at that stage we only worked in primary schools, but a group of the high school graduates had come to her with a written out plan saying, we want to run a holiday program and we need a hundred children. Every day is going to start with yoga. The meals must be healthy. We're going to do gardening and all sorts of educational activities. And we were so inspired by, I mean, these were 14, 15 year old teenagers choosing to spend their holiday in this way. And we were also getting lots of feedback from high school graduates saying, we, we've, we saw that the matrics were stressed, so we started a meditation club. And we want to take other children hiking. And we want to start a yoga class and an eco club at our schools. And at that stage, we were really considering strategically how to grow. And we were like, we have to respond to these incredible young leaders who are coming back to us wanting more. And so that's how we started the high school alumni leadership training program. And then it kind of grew from there that to get, so in South Africa, it's, it's very common that youth from under-resourced communities there's a lot of pressure to go on to study at university, but there's an incredibly high dropout rate because there are so many life skills and life experiences that they have not been exposed to. So never mind academically that many of them are at a disadvantage because of the primary and high schools that they've been to, just kind of socially and um, in, in so many different ways, they really struggle and experience many challenges that uh, more privileged learners don't when at university. And um, so that's where we had the idea to continue our leadership training through these internship programs. So when our, our Earth children graduate from grade 12, they can apply to do a two-year internship with us where they get um, work experience, all sorts of skills training and development. They, they work shadow our facilitators and then even get opportunities to run their own extramural clubs. And so there's a lot of kind of training and work experience and life experience. Um, very often they've been sponsored to go on overseas trips to go and do training workshops in America. And so at the end of those two years, many of them have chosen to then apply to become junior team members, junior staff, and others have decided that they wanted to go and study or find, um, kind of pursue other career paths, which, but we, we very often stay connected to them. And it's been really incredible to see that part of the program evolve because now, for example, next year, 2021, we will have four full-time staff members who all started out as program participants when they were eight, nine, 10 years old. Mm. I often say now we are like the grandmothers in Earth Child Project <laughs> because there's this next generation. And I mean, what's been really inspiring is to see their passion and commitment for passing on what they learned with us to the next generation. 
And so much of the impact, I think, comes from the quality of the relationships that are built and the kind of role models that young people could be. That's something that I've really learned over the years of Earth Child Project is the power of positive role models and the reality that I can never be the kind of role model to a, a young boy or girl at a school in Kailicho or Lavender Hill where we work in the way that a 20-year-old young staff member, part of our team who grew up in that community like the kind of role model that that person can be for the youth is so powerful. And, yeah. and that's really now very much part of our vision for how we're going to expand is, is like next year, for example, we've got three new interns starting who just finishing grade 12. And as the years go by, our team will grow and grow. And, and this next generation of earth children will be the ones who really get to, co-create where and how the organization grows in future yeah amazing thank you uh talk to me a bit about the funding because of earth child projects i know that you're a pretty tireless fundraiser yourself and uh, i think you've got donors from all over the world haven't you how does that all, all all that work yes so it's um the never-ending journey of supporting the work that we do. And as we grow and expand, so does our budget and the need for funding. And so about 50% of our funding comes through big established foundations and trusts. Um, So that's local and international trusts and foundations who are dedicated to supporting um, non-profits. And then a component of that is also businesses. So there are um, local corporates that we get funding from as well. And then this year, actually 50% of our funding has also come through what we call individual giving. So I think it's really important as a nonprofit to have a, to put your eggs in lots of baskets. I think it really strengthens the the sustainability of the organization to not heavily rely on one source of income. And so we've really grown our individual giving. And what we mean by that is we have um, local and international individuals who sign up to be monthly donors. So even if it's 100 rand or 5 euros or whatever amount, it's, it's really an incredible support because it just provides that monthly source of income and then also there's once-off donations as well as we have ambassadors who organize fundraising events Um, so we've got yoga ambassadors and um, who organize maybe a fundraising yoga class and we have members of the local and international yoga community who have really um supported our work in incredible ways over the years. And just as we build long-term relationships with our schools and the children we work with, it re- it's such a core value to Earth Child Project is building long-term relationships. And I mean, I think that that's something that we have experienced as well, how wonderful it is when you work together over the years and, and all sorts of exciting 
things come out of that partnership. So, for example, part of our individual individual giving is um, people like yourself who who set up campaigns and and help to to crowdfund and and it's a, it, it's it all adds up and makes a huge difference. And so, it's really a part of Earthshire Project that we are excited to grow. Yeah, well, that brings us nicely to our dry January challenge, doesn't it? Yes. I was trying to think um, how it all started. And and uh, if I think back, I knew you guys, didn't I, socially? And I knew what amazing things you were doing. I think we'd been to your office. And then I started World Without Wine. And then uh, I think it was coming up for the first uh, festive season. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I can get people to do a dry January and then I thought well, I want to make it a fundraiser and then instantly obviously I thought <laughs> of you guys and that so that just came organically like everything else yes. and yeah and you realize this is the sixth year that we're doing it's incredible <laughs> it really it's uh and okay. and just to say I mean I think it's so we've been so grateful for the ongoing partnership and then the the relationships that form as a result of that and and you coming out to the schools and getting to meet like you said you met Soso all those years ago so you also getting to kind of see how these earth children are growing up and joining the team and I and I also think that there's such an alignment in what the work that you do and dry January in terms of just really trying to support people in their journeys to wellness, uh, physically, emotionally, psychologically. And so, um, and I think also part of how we met through, um, through that, that you practice yoga and that you practice yoga with, with Tamsin, who's one of our ambassadors. So it's really these, these networks and, and ecosystems of people all working together for, for something kind of greater and more positive. So Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, well, I've been thrilled to be able to um, introduce your organization to so many of our people and people that have done Dry January because, you know, we send them little videos and uh, they're all kind of blown away by, by what you do. Um, so we've managed to raise about 200,000 uh, round in those six years. So in case there's any of our regular donors listening, just remind us all uh, what kind of things that money is spent on. Yes, it's so, I mean, what an incredible amount for over those years. It's a very substantial amount of, of funding. And because there is the connection to yoga and health and wellness and and life skills and um we have used that funding for our yoga and life skills program and it is 250 rand to sponsor the the weekly yoga classes of one little yogi for one whole year and so that funding has supported over 800 children to go through our living classroom yoga program which is 
it's quite hard to actually imagine that, but it's a lot of little yogis getting a lot of support, not just the yoga classes, but like I said, we, we teach them about how to boost their immune system and life skills and emotional intelligence and all sorts of things. So um, that is where the dry January support has gone into our living classroom yoga pro- yoga program over the years and um, supporting over 800 little yogis. So, Jenna, I, I occasionally get asked, I mean, most people understand the, the value of the, um, the kind of holistic benefit to the children and the fact that that's so sustainable. But occasionally somebody will say to me, but, but these children, you know, don't they need help with clothes and books and school fees? There must be more pressing needs uh, than yoga. You know, they, they don't quite get it. So, so talk me through how I should best answer that. <laughs> um, it is... I think it is a valid question and it is a question that we also get asked from time to time over the years. And there are a number of different reasons why we've chosen to have things like yoga and mindfulness as part of our program. I think just as anybody with the long-term benefits of yoga, there are physical, mental, emotional benefits and increased well-being that anybody would experience. I think, however, for the children that we work with, they experience such high levels of stress and trauma on a very regular basis as a result of the challenges in the communities that they face. Um, In the communities where they live, there's very high levels of unemployment, substance abuse, gang violence, Um, a lot of young people dropping out of school and getting involved in the gangs, falling pregnant. Um, And I think that on on an immediate level, things like yoga and meditation really help the children to deal with the stress and trauma that they face. So we get lots of feedback from from children and teachers um, saying, I mean, I'll give an example I'll never forget, we've had teachers say, I don't know why, but on the days when you do yoga, like the children's maths improves and they're a lot calmer and more focused. And it was teachers who said to us that uh, the children, for example, in Lavender Hill, almost on a daily basis, there's gangs fighting and gunshots and things like that. And how can you be in a state to learn and focus when that's what's going on around you. And so I think just very practically, it is a tool to help to just carve out a little bit of calm and peace and stillness in their day-to-day lives. But then I think almost on a greater level and in in terms of the long-term impact is that we really want to support young people to reach their true potential and to rise above the challenges that they face on a daily basis in these communities. And I think something that we could take for granted is just that every young person is encouraged to dream and have a vision for their lives. And a lot of the young people that we work with, they don't necessarily have anyone who's saying, like, what is your dream for your future? And I believe in you. But the first step in that is that they need to really connect with themselves and and increase their 
confidence and self-respect and the belief that if they set a goal, they can achieve it. And we've really seen that through the yoga and life skills program, young people have had an opportunity to really get to know themselves and come to love and respect themselves and create a vision and believe that they can achieve that. And so for me, yes, those other things are important, the basic needs. But I think to really break the cycle of poverty, there's more that's needed. And I mean, for example, we've had young people, um, uh, one of our gap year interns, for example, told me that she often spent her time playing with her younger sister. And when I asked her why, she said, well, all of my peers dropped out of high school. They fell pregnant. They're on drugs. And, and I, don't, I don't want that for my life. I'm making different choices. And I, I don't want to fall pregnant. And the reason I don't want to is because through yoga, I learned to respect my body. And so I'm making different choices because I love and respect my body and I want a different future. And I remember the first time getting that feedback, it totally like it gives me goosebumps still because it made me realize the extent to which I had underestimated the impact of something like yoga and meditation on because I I didn't, I suppose, fully understand the, the challenges that these young people face and how it actually takes a huge amount of courage and strength to choose a different path when you live in these communities because there's so much pressure from every direction from like from all around and there's so much pressure from their peers to be making bad choices yeah, and they, they see you as a, a permanent um, entity that's in their lives and that they can rely on and role models. And and in fact, you you kind of counterbalance the uh, the negative peer pressures that they don't that they see. They can see that there's there's something different going on. Mm. Okay, Jana. Well, that was inspiring as it always is to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so so much for supporting us for all these years. As you said, this is going to be the sixth year. As I mentioned earlier, our our work is largely possible because of the support and long term relationships, um, and ongoing commitment to support our work from individuals like yourself. And I I know that it's no small task to to get to run dry January. It's a really big project. And I think every year we just um, are really blown away by the way that you and your team go above and beyond to make it such a success. So we are really, really, on behalf of myself and the team, just if I can say a very big thank you for the multiple ways that um, you support and promote our work. Thank you. So there you heard me talking to the awesome Jana Kretzmar, founder and director of Earthchild. As usual, I'm going to pull out some key points from that conversation. Now, Jana was only in her 20s when she set up the Earthchild project, and it seemed to me as if everything she'd done before that had been kind of leading up to that. For example, she studied anthropology at university. She went to Brazil and worked on an eco-project. 
She read a book by a yogi about a program he ran in a school in India. And then she returned to South Africa to set up her project in 2007. Jana believes that if we follow our feelings and do something that's in line with our passion and purpose and for the greater good, then it will all come together. And it certainly did in her case. The very first facilitator that they had in a school was sponsored by the Earth Child Clothing Company, and that's where the name came from. And within just a year, they had three facilitators. Jana talked about the power of positive role models and about how she could never be that role model to children of Kailicha. And that's why she is so excited that they have developed leaders from the communities that they work in. Earthchild actually helped three and a half thousand children on a weekly basis. They do yoga, they do life skills, they do gardening, worm farming, hiking. It's all practical experiential education because her vision is to get the children to connect to themselves and each other and the environment. Jana and I discuss the fact that sometimes we're asked, why yoga? when these kids must have other, more fundamental needs? The answer to that question is that these kids come from communities where there is a lot of gang violence and substance abuse, and yoga helps to calm them. It's a tool to carve out calm and stillness, and for many of them it's the beginning of a lifelong practice. So I do hope that Jana's amazing story has inspired you to sign up for our Dry January Challenge. A donation of just 250 rand or £12 or $16 will sponsor a child for a whole year of yoga and life skills classes. Now you can sign up today or any day up to the end of January. All you need to do when you sign up is to pick your 30-day window. When would you like to be supported? Would you like to sign up now so we can get you through that festive season? Would you like to start a traditional dry January on the 1st? Or do you want to pick 15th of January? That's a very popular date when people have got back from their New Year holiday. They want to make a new start. Whenever you pick your 30 days, you'll get online and community support from us to get you through. And this year we've partnered with a brand new online store, they're called Drink Nil, and not only have they made a generous donation themselves, but they've promised to give 10% off their amazing selection of alcohol-free drinks. So when you sign up, you'll get a 10% discount code. So all you need to do is to click on Earth Child Fundraiser, and the rest is easy. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Till next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.